Welcome to Back of the Grid. My name's Chris Evans and I'm joined by Stu Greenwood. Hello. And by Tom King. Hello. Uh, We are here chiefly to preview the German Grand Prix, but first we're going to have a look back to the past, to the future, to (laughs) 2021, gentlemen. (laughs) My my brain. (laughs) Yes, F1 have put forward a, what they're calling a, did somebody open a bottle of champagne? (laughs) No, it was me smacking my microphone with my Wacom pen. <laughs> so it was really excited about 2021. Yeah. I'll start that again. You're going to keep that in now, aren't you, Tom? Yeah, um, definitely keep that in. <laughs> yeah, F1 have put forward a what they're calling a proposed blueprint for the 2021 rules, which are actually due to be finalised in October. Um, so this is Ross Braun, Pat Simmons, and a guy called Nicholas Tombizis, who is the FIA Head of Single-Seater Technical Matters which is a very specific job title. Um, And they have identified what they're calling the four core principles of the new rules. So I guess we'll kind of rattle through what they had to say and see what we think of them. Yeah. Um, So the first part is what most people want, which is more raceable cars. Um, And the main thing they're doing to achieve that is bringing back ground effect, which we've kind of talked about here and there over the years on the podcast. Um, their aim is that they said in 2017, if you were a couple of car lengths behind another car, you lost 50% of your downforce. And their aim is for the new rules to reduce that to 5 to 10% loss of downforce. So essentially, the top of the car is producing a lot less aero and Venturi tunnels, which are kind of tunnels along the floor underneath the car through the side pods, will be used to generate the downforce instead, which in theory... Uh, produces less turbulent air, makes it a lot easier to follow. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, kind of what a lot of people have been asking for for a long time. Yes, it is. Um, are you going to? What are you doing? Are you going through every bullet point? Are we going to talk about this this one? You you seem poised to say something, so you you speak away. Interrupt me whenever well, you feel free. I, I, it's still going to create turbulent air, isn't it? Obviously. Yeah, I mean, high downforce cars, just by the definition of what they are, are going to do that. Yeah, well, the thing, like, if you think of, like, the, and we've said this before, if you think of, like, the air as a bubble and you take some of that air with you, if you displace all that air, no matter how you do it, you're still going to, you know, generate, you're going to create a gap behind the car where there's less air for the car behind to use. So I struggle to believe that it's only going to be 5 to 10% of a loss of downforce i think it's it it'd have to be more and by the time they've developed these cars then for sure it's going to be more because surely they're going to develop into the cars the best the ways ways of sort of disturbing that air to make it difficult for a car to follow that's like one of the principles of keeping your car ahead (laughs) yeah it's always the worry with f1 isn't it that like how whatever the spirit of the rules are the people making the cars are just going to use those rules to make as fast a car as possible and what happens behind it to the other cars be damned, basically. Yeah, well, that's the whole point of the outward wash that they've tried to nail down a little bit in the most recent changes, isn't it? Like they were pushing air outwards 
with mm. the intention of it having a more negative effect on the person following them. So that's part and parcel of what that did. I know it had other purposes as well, but part of doing that was to make it harder for somebody to follow you uh, because yeah. you're pushing all that air out of the way so that the car behind can't use it. And yeah, I think yeah, that, and, they'll and probably what, find and, a way to do something similar to that within the regulations. Yeah, that's exact. That's exactly like you make the you're making the exact right point. Like that, not only are they pushing air away from the front of the car and pushing it out around, but what air is left behind the car after it's gone through it is getting dragged along with it. Yeah. So it it's not hitting the car behind as hard, so it's not generating as much downforce. I yeah. just I just cannot see if these cars are going to. No matter what car it is. I cannot see how you're only going to lose five to ten percent of downforce. I'd be, I mean, you know what? Prove me wrong, but I, I, I struggle to believe that. I'd be interested to know what that figure is for Le Mans prototypes because they rely quite heavily on ground effect. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know what the percentage would be for them, but they do seem to be able to race each other a lot closer than F1 cars do. Yeah, very true. That's true. That is true. What but I they find also int- not generating as much grip are they either no true no not from the aero what i find interesting about the aero regulations is the way that it sounds like ross braun and possibly pat simmons are trying to set up what they're calling like the the crack team or something and the idea is that it's a group of engineers that sole purpose is to try and break the air the new aero regs with loopholes yeah um to try and close the loophole before the F1 teams get a chance to try and exploit it, which would be interesting. But I don't know. For me, I don't know if that ruins the spirit of it a little bit because the whole, we've said before, the whole sort of idea of F1 is that technical challenge of getting the most efficient machine out of the regulations. And the greatest brains in the sport are the guys that see, well, guys and girls that see those weaknesses in the regulation and see well i can exploit Mm. this by doing such a thing with the air and and deflecting it in this way and if you're the only one to see that you've suddenly got the potential of a championship car and it comes from the mind of this engineer and then putting it into practice and that's that's part of the sport for me so i'm not sure how i feel about that yet but we'll see yes if i were you i wouldn't worry about it because (laughs) Newies of this world are going to find a loophole still, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. The people that they're going to be hiring to do this job are not going to be the same people who are working for a Formula 1 team developing an actual car, um, going out and, you know, exploiting these loopholes and finding them. Um, I I guess they're not, what I'm saying is they're not going to be as good as those people. I was going to say, like, with the greatest bull in the world, if they were good enough to find all of the loopholes, they'd be working for F1 teams. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that all does kind of cover the second core principle, which is more competitive grids. And the two things they mentioned on that were the rule-breaking group that you mentioned, Tom, to sort of try and avoid these things and just tighter rules in general to avoid what they called a silver bullet to, like, stop one team a la Braun GP finding something that puts them significantly ahead of the rest. And I think I'm with you on that, Tom. Like I like that those things can happen sometimes. What you what you don't want is something that is so good no one else manages to catch up. Like we talk about the 09 season, any opportunity we get, but that season was so exciting because yes, Braun found this and we're that far ahead, but then everyone else gradually caught yeah. up to them. And I don't think there's a problem with that across a whole season. Yeah, because by the end of the season, like 
every everybody had kind of caught up, hadn't they? And it was it was more or less relying on other things by the end of the season. Yeah, like Braun yeah. weren't winning every race hand over fist like they were at the start of the year by the end. So yeah. Well they close. didn't they didn't develop the car all year. Well yeah, <laughs> no, there, is that. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> and everyone else did. That's how they caught them up. Yeah. Um I, I think it would it might have been less of a romantic season if they had had the financial backing of Mercedes or Honda and being able to develop the car because yeah, would have just, just the, run the gap away would have stayed that. the same. Yeah, they'd have run away with mm. it. Whereas because by by uh I suppose unfortunately for them, but fortunately for the audience, they you know, they didn't have much money, they couldn't develop it, and everyone else caught them up. And it made some amazing races, didn't it? And some amazing qualifying yeah. sessions, some of the best ever. Mm. So I guess like our thoughts on more competitive grids is yes, we want that, but not necessarily in the ways they are suggesting, I guess. Uh maybe. Uh, yeah. Yes and no. I, I like the idea of the cars looking different. I think it's yeah, like this. This is the thing for me is that's what sort of makes F one a little bit different to a lot of other series where things are standardised a bit more. And I think if you go too far down this road of trying to shut loopholes and and make regulations really tight and and secure and avoid any loopholes or or as many as possible, you do kind of lose that uniqueness to a lot of the cars because there is far less that they can attempt to to gain mm. that time on track and that speed and, and, and so on. So Yeah. Mm. We're sort of double jumping ahead now, so I'm going to rein you back to point <laughs> one, which we abandoned a long time ago. <laughs> the other kind of big thing that they put under the more raceable cars banner is abandoning the high degradation tyre philosophy that we've had for the Pirelli era. Um, instead switching to tyres that can basically be pushed to the limit for an entire stint. Um, Pat Simmons even went as far as saying that F1 has basically made a mistake going down this high degradation route for the uh, all the time they have, which I think a lot mm. of people agree with. I mean, to Pirelli's credit, all they've ever done is make the tyres F1 asked them to make, and Pirelli have said they are perfectly happy to start making tyres that can yeah. run an entire race if that's what F1 want from them. Um, does this mean that they're going to change the change the rules of pit stop so that you don't have to run two different types of tyre? I'd be surprised if they do change that because, I mean, well, that that rule essentially is there to force a pit stop, isn't it? That's to stop yeah. them putting on a hard tyre and not run into the pits. So I think they need to keep something along those lines because we don't want to see races do no pit stops. Mm. I don't think. I certainly don't. No, I, well, yeah, I, I, I don't want to see that. Um, but if if you could just throwing this out there to sort of play devil's advocate, I guess if you could see a race where, let's think, a driver like let's say Sergio Perez in the Racing Point, both a car and a driver fairly well known for being able to make tires last if they need to, would you not like to see a race where he maybe sticks a, a harder compound of tire on from the beginning? starts from like say 11th 12th somewhere like that where they've been qualifying recently and manages to drive to a podium and potentially even a win because they've managed to eke that bit more out of their tires and not been forced into this pit stop and the other cars are pitting because there's still degradation there that means that they need to but not so much that it's so critical and and there's so much tire management in the sport by sort of default where 
every lap you're thinking about tire degradation, whereas maybe it needs to be near the end of the tire's yeah. life. I like your thinking. Um, what I would like to see is tires developed such that it, it this kind of flies in the face of what they're saying about <laughs> abandoning high degradation tire, but they should make a tire that it is possible to go to the end of the race on, but it's also possible to pit and get there maybe slightly quicker or, yeah, that's, or not. And the risk of a pit stop is worth taking because it might mean you win a race. Yeah. Do you see I what think, I mean? Yeah. Like make it natural. Don't force it. Exactly. The the tyre kind of needs to be on that edge where some of the harder compounds for particular races can maybe can get to the end if driven in the right way. So, yes, there is a little bit of tyre management there, but there's far more performance from the tyre throughout its entire stint. So it becomes much more a, a finely tuned thing as to whether you want to maybe perfect... Mm. Getting the best like... out of that tyre life and, and getting a long stint rather than going hard on the tyres and, and doing a one or a two stop or whatever it might be. I feel like what you're describing is far more feasible now we have three tyres than it was when yeah. we had two at yeah. a race. Yeah, That's Because you could, you could use the two softer tyres to obviously to effect, to the effect of getting to the end of the race with one stop or you could use the hardest compound and get to the end and then probably get to the end at about the same yeah, the two, the people mm. who and then maybe use the middle one quite hard, and then use the soft one really hard, and again still kind of get there in a in a rough mm. sort of time. It's it's a weird thing because at the same time you don't want to see someone just pootling around the track saving tires. You want to see people wheel to wheel racing really really pushy. Well, it's that argument between like strategy and on track action, isn't it? I was going to say that that idea works great on a Silverstone, a Spa, a Monza. But on like Monaco, Singapore, Hungary, no one's going to make a single pit stop because even if a two-stopper in theory is faster, on a track you can't overtake on, it's just a complete waste of your time. There's, there's a reason no one ever tries a two-stopper at Monaco these days because mm, yeah. you're always going to end up at the back of a pack and can't get past them. Mm. Sprinklers, water sprinklers, that's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bernie, calm down. <laughs> um, uh, Pat, just on Pat Simmons saying going as far as saying they made a mistake going down the high deg route. I don't necessarily agree with that either because given the formula we have at the moment and given the downforce levels that they're running, you do need a tire that, that has high degradation to make yeah. a differential between two cars. Whereas yeah. for the new formula, obviously that, that will hopefully not apply. You won't need it as much. But I think for this formula, it is the right way to go. It is what we need to, to generate yes. racing. It's another one of those, like we talked about before, it's one of many plasters over a leaky tank of water, isn't yeah. it? But yeah. hopefully these new rules will make for a better tank of water so we won't need the plasters. The plasters. <laughs> We're getting stuck in that metaphor again. <laughs> Love that metaphor. Um, one last thing on tyres, because we talk about them too much. Uh, there's also talk of potentially banning uh, tyre blankets for 2021. Uh, it's something that has worked fine in other series. You could argue that F1, given the lows put on tyres, requires them. Nah. I'm not sure it'll make a huge difference, to be completely honest. You'd have thought if they're making a more competitive tyre, though, that that tyre would possibly be easier to switch on. Because the tyre is going to be aimed around performance. So the idea is that it's quick to switch on, but also has a durable life. and You've got speed 
from the tyre, I guess, the grip from the tyre for as much of that stint as possible, which means making it start as early as possible and last as long as possible. So if Pirelli are doing that, I'd expect that it wouldn't be too much of a problem for most teams. At the risk of sounding slightly puerile, if you're developing an entirely new tyre for 2021, then just develop a tyre that doesn't require tyre blankets. All that, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, if if, if you're back to the drawing board already, just... Factor it all in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we kind of already did the second point, which was more competitive grids. Uh, the third core principle uh, is cars that make you go, wow. This is where it gets a bit wishy washy. <laughs> cars that make you go, wow. <laughs> nice. That's a sting. <laughs> yeah. Like, what could that sting be for? It'll be it good for pre season be... when we have the car launches. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it like when we rate liveries or something. Cars that make you go, yeah. wow. And again, <laughs> Snip, I'm just going to keep doing it now just because it's become a thing. <laughs> um, so they, I'm just going to power through. Um, so they've said they want cars that look sexy, whatever that means. Um, whether you want to listen to Ross Braun and Pat Simmons on what is sexy or not, um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'll tell you um, who you shouldn't listen to. <laughs> Max Mosley. <laughs> no, oh no, not Max Mosley. We don't talk about him. We don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> Move on. That's in the past. Move on. Audience, message to audience, Google it. No, don't. (laughs) No, don't. Don't. Don't Google it. (laughs) Again, pairing through. Um, (laughs) So the FYI and Formula One are going to work with an automotive stylist to, quote, translate important design features on the car into the technical regulations. Ooh, that's an interesting idea. Is it not a bit bobbins, though, when the teams are designing their own cars within a set of regulations? <laughs> like, unless you specifically say this piece of bodywork will look exactly like this, I'm not really sure. Mm. It's probably broader than that, isn't it? Well, I think the idea it here, be. it sounds like the idea here is to maybe get an automotive stylist to take a rule set and design a car around it and then they can sort of look at that, see what the result is, and then make technical tweaks yeah, in order to yeah. force yeah, certain sort of angles and features around a, a more broad aspect. So, like, say, like the rear wing at the moment is sort of has that like sort of nice angle back kind of look to it, doesn't it? Yeah. And same as the roll, the uh, the airbox above the car. If you look on the Mercedes, particularly, it has it's, that's angled slightly forward, mm-hmm. and the front wing is angled sort of back to it's designed to look fast without moving. And I think that sounds like that's more what they're getting at. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think the other thing as well is that if you're getting somebody that's designing a car to look good and you get certain components out of it, what they will probably aim to do, I'd imagine, is write certain regulations around that area if if they like it that means that yeah, that's where the regulations are going to be a bit tighter so that it's harder mm-hmm. for the teams to to do stuff to that but i just hope we still get the quirkiness because like as much as some people might hate them things like the little eyelashes on the alpha like i love seeing things like that because that's that's the ingenuity i was talking about before where yeah uh, you know an engineer sees a potential to redirect some airflow within a regulation and it's like let's stick these on and try it um and that's that's the kind of stuff that I like to see, even if yeah. sometimes it is a little bit garish, I guess, to some people. That bullet point also makes me think of the Halo in Formula E, where yes. they've taken a 
stock functional bit of a car and by slapping some cool leds on it they've made it into something interesting yeah. and informative and they're doing something with it so i wonder that's if true. that's going to be that kind of means that by that statement as well possibly yeah and yeah. not only that it's it's taking it's taking sort of safety fe- it's another thing that's taken a safety feature in that car and the formula formula e car is a really good example of it how the nose sort of is angled up to match the width yeah. of the of the halo so it looks integrated into the car yeah so they are they have already got these fia kind of mandated parts of the formula one car that have to be there that's it's you know it's you have the uh the, the side impact beams that you can't really see because they're usually underneath the side pods and worked into the body work but there's you know there's two things that stick out either side you see it on the old formula e car actually Formula yeah. One cars have that exact same component on them, but you mm. can't see them. Yeah. Um, and I remember you could see it on some of the caterums back in like 2010, 2011. There was a caterum, I think, that, where you could actually see that structure because of how they had built their side pods. Yeah. You can occasionally see like bulges on side pods and stuff like that where they've had to, where the skin of the Formula One car is so tight that yeah. they've had to sort of shrink wrap around it and you can just see like a bulge sticking out of the side pod or whatever. Um, so maybe they're trying to sort of make it so that they can mandate sort of shapes around those components in order to make them better integrated into a car to make a mm. more flowing piece of art rather than just one ob- odd object sticking out of it that shouldn't yeah. really be there as a See, piece of design. You get an example of that slightly on, I think it's the Merc this year from memory, but there's like two little bulges near the the rear end and it's to do with the engine mounts and the rear end of that is sort of packaged so tightly that the bodywork has to kind of mound over these mandated engine mounts or it might be the gearbox mounts one or the other and you sort of you see these two little almost bubbles that bulge out at the back and Mm. that goes to show exactly what you're saying i know it's a different component but that no, shows no, yeah, how like the, the exactly got it cars packaged so tight that these little things just kind of pop out almost yeah uh yes they've also <laughs> said they're gonna be looking at the types of circuits that uh f1 races on and they've said the new race in vietnam is going to be the first test of a new philosophy of where we should take formula one according mm. to ross braun what that means is anybody's guess i would say <laughs> let's go to street circuits everywhere well that's yeah that sounds it like mm, yeah let's yeah. become formula e <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully not i mean they are as part of this they do seem to be talking to drivers a lot more and a lot of drivers i don't know if you've noticed this but drivers seem to be getting a lot more vocal recently about criticizing things like in the past drivers would always just be very just keep a nice neutral political stance and everything but like recently a few drivers have said yes i don't think we should be going to this many street circuits we all prefer racing on proper circuits so it is interesting that drivers seem to be having more of a say in stuff like this Mm. they made a point saying the aero rules are still evolving um they mentioned the front wing saying we're still not completely pleased about both from an aerodynamic point of view and an aesthetic point of view so we're trying to make it better in both aspects which is interesting because that just kind of points as we said to them with all of these rules not just thinking from a functional point of view actually yeah. changing the rules to make things look cool as well yeah i think it's good they're thinking of the aesthetics rather than just the yes you know rather than just the technical regulations yeah. like you say. which again going back to your sort of 
2010, 2011, 2012 era. Oh, they very much did not think yeah. about aesthetics back then. I, I think taking FE as another example, though, like Formula E did a fairly good job of getting um, regulations that still looked aesthetically pleasing on the car. Like hmm. they've got a nice balance between aero regulations and then the you know the the thing looking good. Um, some of some of the components on the the new sort of twenty twenty one th- sketches that we've seen kind of remind me a little bit of those, but it'd be interesting to see how similar the um, the finished article is to something like the FE cars. Mm. Well, I really like the F Formula E car. Yeah, I think it's a really really yeah. cool looking car. It's awesome. Um, I think the challenge they have here in Formula One compared to Formula E is Formula E is just a spec aero, isn't it? It's everyone's yeah, got the same aero true. package. That's true. Yeah. So it's very easy to for them to just go off, design a car, say this is what the car looks like, do whatever you want underneath. Where which isn't strictly true, obviously they've got similar suspension, all of them and stuff like that. But in terms of powertrain, yes, they are all very different. Um Formula One car you, you don't have that freedom to just make that vehicle look however you want. You, yeah. They have to like give them the constraints and kind of hope that they come out looking something like what they envision. And we we briefly mentioned it just now, how like we, we talked about the stepped noses and the, the ugly cars of sort of the 2009, 10, 11, 12 sort of era. Again, like, and we, we've already said it, that that is symptomatic of them just throwing a regulation at it. And yeah, not necessarily having control over what the teams are going to do aesthetically with it. The, the step noses is a prime example of, like you say, just throwing a regulation out there to make a change and the teams adhering to that change, but carrying on doing what they want with the rest of the car and it not being in line with the rest of the car because yeah. the, it, the whole thing with that was to get the nose below a certain height because of a new regulation, but ultimately they wanted the rest of the car in a different position to direct airflow in a certain way. So like that was the compromise, wasn't it? And that's why we got yeah. those interesting yeah, even, things going on. Even, even now we're still feeling the hangover of that regulation because all the, all the, a lot of the cars, the Ferrari, the, um, the Williams, the Red Bull, they are little thumbs on the front yeah. of the nose. Yeah. yeah. They call it a thumb nose now, don't they? Whereas before it was an anteater nose. Now it's a thumb nose. Yeah. But still like, yeah, they don't look that cool. I don't think they look very cool. The Mercedes looks great, but oh, yeah. I think most of the other cars have this weird little thumb on them. And I, I've yeah, never liked most that. Do. Well, I mean, I think I'm right in saying, I know it was true for a number of years. And I think it's still the case that technically underneath the modern cars still have a stepped nose. It's just that they bought in a regulation to say the from nose to kind of bulkhead has to be a continuous line just to kind of yeah. make the cars oh, look prettier. Oh, yeah, they did. They, they sort of... The it, vanity it was a van- panel, vanity panel it, yeah. wasn't it? They yeah. called it a vanity panel. Well, that I think that's a good example then of what they're, what they're trying to do yeah, with the regulations, it is isn't it? Like they're trying to sort of... They'll develop the regulations moving forward so that if these kinds of weird things do occur, it's almost a promise to say, yeah, okay, you know, there might be some weird things in this set that that sort of make the cars look a bit crappier in there. So if that does happen, we'll fix it. Just smooth things out a bit. Use the blur yeah. tool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the last thing on this was um, consultation with F1 fans. So Ross Braun said, understanding from the fans what it is that turns them on about Formula One and also talking to fans who stop watching or don't watch why they don't watch and what stopped them. Um, 
which we've already seen a lot of actually with the kind of surveys they do um, on the F1 website. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if you guys saw the one recently. I think it was Pat Simmons that had requested it where they had photographs of several Formula One cars and they'd taken all of the sponsors and livery off them. Yeah, and asked you to identify. Yeah, and asked you to identify what cars they were. Yeah. And I think that was kind of. I think the the reason for that was to prove the theory that while people like seeing these rules, these twenty twenty one rules, will say, "Oh, but all the cars are going to end up looking the same." It was to kind of prove the theory that if you take away all the recognisable things, actually, the modern F one cars that we have now kind of all look very very similar. It was very hard to tell a lot of them apart. Yeah, I think um, the noses would give a couple away, like we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, like, like the, Mercedes, the Mercedes, obviously, yeah, Unispot. The yeah. Red Bull with that weird, like, vacuum attachment yeah, yeah. on the front but of the, it. But the thing is, like, we're proper, like, nerds. Exactly. Yeah, that's so it. we're like, going to spot that stuff. Like, your regular yeah. fan, probably not going to notice. Yeah. In conclusion, so. Ross Braun wants to know what turns you on. So the thing... <laughs> oh. <laughs> stop, stop referring to things God. like that, please. <laughs> oh, I'm goodness. just quoting them. Especially it's a, when it's a family show. It's a family show. <laughs> Come on. Um, in terms Is of it? like, he wants to, well, he wants to get to, he wants to get to people who've stopped watching. That That's going to be much more challenging getting it to is. those people than it is getting to the people who, consulting with actual Formula One fans rather than consulting with people who are no longer Formula One fans. Mm. Um, you could... Uh, Always go to uh, what is it? It's not Twitter. It's the other one, Reddit. Reddit. <laughs> yeah. Everyone loves. Everyone on Tw- on Reddit's got an opinion these days, don't they? So maybe just check that out. the The problem with doing that again, though, you have to be careful when you're consulting with fans because obviously everyone looks at Formula One through a through a different lens. Some people look through it through the lens of I want my big noisy engines back. Other people look at it through the lens of I like the less noisy engines and the more tasty sound that these cars make. And yeah. there's such variance in opinions there that it, it'd take a lot of effort to cut through the noise and get a sort of consensus from the fans. Everyone's got such wildly varying opinions that it's yeah. very difficult. I think the other thing to be very careful of as well along those kind of lines is if you start catering to people that n- are no longer that interested in the sport and doing things to try and bring them back, you risk alienating and losing people yeah. that have stayed through thick and thin or are newer to the sport and, and like what he's become because it's a, it's a fine line to tread. And I appreciate that they, they are going to try and find out why people have left and see if there's anything they can do, but they obviously need to risk alienating people that are still here or have joined since because, yeah. you know, getting 500,000 fans back, is not worth it if you lose 750 existing <laughs> fans, is it? Uh, 750,000 existing fans, so... Exactly, yeah. Yeah, mm. gotta be Plus, careful. it's easy just to hear from a vocal minority when you're doing these kind of things as well, yeah. isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, that's very true. much so. It's, it's yeah. I'd, I'd be careful with that if I were them. <laughs> mm. um, and finally, the fourth core principle, uh, a Ooh, financially viable championship. Um, so they've said they're bringing in a budget cap from 2021 to 2025 of $175 million per season. Um, that does exclude certain things like driver salaries, um, some other key personnel salaries, marketing and travel costs. Um, cause I think a lot of teams, if they had to include driver salaries on that, would not be able uh-huh. to afford any of their drivers. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, 
And then there's also talk of them bringing in potential standard parts and restrictions across the cars. So standardized uh, wheel rims, brake systems, um, banning hydraulic suspension, which a lot of teams are starting to mess with now. Uh, Restrictions on the use of certain exotic materials, uh, standardized radiators, frozen gearbox specs, standardized pit equipment for all teams. Um, Also potential for reduction in wind tunnel time uh, and reduction in just overall size of team personnel, especially especially the people that actually go to circuits. That would be so Clarin who are just building their own wind tunnel. (laughs) Restriction on how much they can use it. Well, (laughs) you know what? Actually, it will please them because they'll have the newest, most efficient wind tunnel that'll yeah, give true. the best results out of true, everyone. Yeah. So, um, um, I mean, this is all stuff their... we've kind of talked about before, isn't it? Sort of standardizing the bits that don't really make a huge difference that you're not necessarily going to see. Yeah, and it's gonna that'll save them a heck of a lot of money as well if everyone's on the same yeah. wheel rims and brakes exactly, and yeah. all that. And you, you, like you say, you never see it. Everyone's running basically the same brake, brake discs these days anyway, just designed by different brands. Yeah. Um, uh, right. Can I be real for a second here? Ooh, <laughs> I thought you always um, were, but yeah. <laughs> the this this uh, this caveat inside the budget cap, I don't like it. <laughs> um, the exclu- excluding certain yeah, things. excluding certain things like driver salaries, some other key personnel salaries, marketing and travel costs. There is so much potential there for fiddling <laughs> around yeah. with with the with the with these costs that yes there I, is. I I feel like that figure is just not worth the paper it's written on if the, that that statement is yeah, not worth I suppose it depends on how strictly they govern it doesn't it like I can understand the reasoning for something like marketing being a little more open because I think as maybe Ross Braun put it it's if a team's marketing their F1 team, then that's marketing for the entire sport. So the entire sport kind of yeah. benefits on the whole because if Mercedes are advertising their F1 team as champions, that's going to entice people to come look at F1, I guess, it, not just Mercedes. So I can understand some of the things like that. I can see how they'd be angled for uh, like taking advantage of, like you're saying. But Yeah, well, let me put a little case study to you. Then. Um, I want to market my Formula One team and I want to take my car and I want to drive it somewhere. Um, so I need extra budget so I can so I can do that. I, and I happen to have a load of new parts that I could put on my car to show the public the development that is going into my car. Am I allowed to <laughs> run the new parts on my car and test them while I'm yep. while I'm doing this? You know, like Obviously, the answer to that would be no, but what is to stop teams surreptitiously running bits underneath the skin of the car that you can't see to as part of and, and call it a marketing exercise? Like, there's yeah. so many like ways around all these little statements. They're going to need to be so tight, these rules, and so strictly regulated that for me, I do, I honestly don't think it's possible to, uh, to cover it. I really don't. They do that anyway, though, to get around the lack of testing, don't they? Like, what's to say they don't put certain bits on when they're doing certain media things that they yeah they probably do Pirelli tests and so on and stuff like that. There's either some something in place already to to avoid that as much as possible that would have to continue, or it's already happening anyway, and a budget cap going but like that is my, probably my, not going to make any difference. Yeah, but my point here is that. 
the the bud the, the budget cap is designed to stop you know testing and designed to stop overly sort of uh, overly designing the cars really that's what they're yeah. trying to they're trying to stop people throwing mm-hmm. money at the car design and just with that one little tiny example there if they can somehow throw all that cost underneath marketing then they're developing the car do you know it is I mean? amazing how many uh, F1 teams go for a filming day and they happen to need to film for the full 100 kilometers they're allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I think it'll always be the same though. I think they'll, they'd always do that whether there's a, you know, as, like I said, I don't think a budget cap is going to make a difference because even if the budget cap wasn't part of the marketing, if somebody else was getting them to film like they do at the minute, then they're still going to push it to that limit and put bits on it. I don't think, I don't think the then budget cap will make any difference to those kind of things. I guess is what we're in agree. I think we're in agreement then because the, what we're saying is that it's already. Fa- if that's the case, then the budget cap has already failed before it's even been applied. I guess the counter arguments that would be if every team is bending that rule to the same extent, then it kind of balances out. Well, no, because not the... every team's got that kind of budget, have they? Not every team's got the marketing budget that Ferrari have got. Say, if Ferrari are going to get the same little, yeah, no, it's bonus true. every year, then they're obviously st- they're going to still. Earn but then, but they are they are still all limited on the amount of time that can physically run the car for, exactly. even in, for marketing events. Mm. I think it all comes back comes back to what we said at the very start, which is it all depends on how much the FIA actually regulate this and actually like stay on top of these things yeah if they if they are serious about keeping teams within those limits with exceptions then they need to be tight on it which i'd hope that they will be because like like i I understand your point exactly Stu, and that is if they aren't strict on it from day one teams will just put things under the carpet through other means like you say through marketing and yeah and salaries like it wouldn't surprise me if they would find a way to work something into somebody's salary to like yeah get something on the car that's, and that's easy that's so easy you just say yeah, i'm yeah. gonna pay you this bonus and then that person goes and buys a component some bricks. from <laughs> some crazy company. yeah you know what i mean though like that, 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 yeah this that we're just sat here in in free rooms thinking of this stuff off the top of our heads <laughs> we're and we're free dumbass podcast recorders think <laughs> think about what the higher ups in formula one teams are able to think of to get around these rules but to go along with that, I'd have thought that the FIA has already... If, if we can come up with these potential loopholes, I'd have thought the FIA True. will come up with the same yeah, well. kinds of loopholes. And people like Ross Braun and Pat Simmons and people like that, they've worked in these teams and they know the kind of things that teams get up to, which is why I'm yeah. sort of happy that there's people like that in place at the minute because there's a lot of things that they instantly know to look for because they've, they've been there and they've done it. Um, yeah. And I think that'll help close down on a lot of the things like the loopholes in the aero regs and the financial loopholes on season budgets and stuff like that because they've got the experience of being on the other side, which is what's key Mm. in this, I think. One of the really beautiful parts of this is that I'm absolutely 100% sure that at some point in 2021, 2022, there'll be a huge hoo-ha about someone overspending yeah. and there'll be a well, real like political kind of off-track drama that'll unfold. Yeah, I was about to say one thing I think they definitely do need to do is the first time a team breaks these rules, they need to penalise them hard. Like, yeah. yeah. In fact, they probably need to dock them like a significant number of championship points. 
Because if you find Ferrari, yeah, find Ferrari, Mercedes, or someone like twenty million dollars, like I ain't got nothing. I've got them in my back pocket. But you dock them twenty world championship points. Oh, <laughs> that yeah, goes to the marketing budget. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it'd be interesting to see who's the first team to fall foul of that. Mm. Um, a few of the little things I mentioned are being investigated. Um, further reductions on electronics on the cars and driver aids. Um, car to pick telemetry, whether they need to reduce that, including the notion of whether drivers should be left more on their own when on track. Yeah. I don't Ooh, think I've I personally an, agree with that one. I've, but I've got an interesting fact about that. Uh-huh. Um, did you know that when Mercedes, the moment Mercedes enters the pit, the Mercedes car enters the pit lane, that vehicle is communicating with the garage in terms of telemetry and stuff like that. Oh, so yeah, like they've it, got like it, a whole wireless... Oh, yeah, they've got a whole wireless yeah. system that just wirelessly transmits everything to the thing. So I think that's what they're trying to clack down on because not every team's yeah. got that and it's very expensive. Yes. Yeah. That's a very good example but, of that. But again, that's some, that is something that in theory should come under the budgets because that's that's like components within the team, isn't it? So I'd, I'd hope yeah. that the budget cap would also help reduce that as well as any rules that they put in place. Hard to argue that's marketing. Telemetry, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're just advertising for Dell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What else? Investigating whether to introduce further standard components such as drive shafts and steering columns, Uh, simplification of the lower part of the chassis, an area which is prone to damage from curbs. Um, Mm -hmm. I think some teams would be more welcoming of that than others, (laughs) especially if you've got people like Roman Grosjean or Danny (laughs) Kvyat driving for you around Austria. (laughs) And then possibility to further reduce personnel at race weekends. Um, and they said they're also still looking at uh, the race weekend format, which again is another thing that us and many other people have talked about a lot. Mm. Um, so that is where we're at with the 2021 rules. We're expecting them to be finalized in October. Um, how much will change between now and then, I don't know. I'm sure there's many, many meetings still planned. But thoughts like as a whole on all of that there's only one i guess slight concern that i have which is if the things like the budgets and the team size reductions and and things like that is i'd like for that to at least entice some other teams to join the sport which i guess it it is the premise of doing it is to make Mm. it more affordable and entice others to join because those people that have worked hard in their careers to get to the point that they're in F1, if if there's suddenly no team left for them because there's a restriction on team size, I'd hope that there are then two, three, even four other teams willing to come in that can kind of almost scoop that up and mean that those people that have worked hard to get to where they are can still be involved in the sport. That's just one yeah. thing that's kind of a, a bit of a sort of on the back of my mind, I guess, but... It'd be nice no, if it actually it's... had its its impact of bringing new teams in, so that yeah. those people are still involved in the sport rather than well, still have jobs in the first yeah, place. Exactly, that's that's the big thing. Like, yeah. we we don't want we don't want people to not have jobs. Yeah, like a lot of people yeah, exactly. working. It's an industry. Formula One is a full on industry, and if you start dictating to teams how many people that they can employ and how many people that they can bring to a race weekend, I think that's quite risky. Yeah, um, yeah. You're, you're starting to you're having a wider effect at that point beyond just the racetrack you know this is people's home lives we're talking about yeah and, and families and it's, i don't think the rules should be having an effect 
checks on that. Like, I don't think teams yeah. should have to ditch half their staff, half their workforce. I mean, that's a terrible idea. I think if it's done gradually and and things like the budgets help bring new teams in, so that there's there's more places for people to go, and it sort of it overlaps nicely, then I'm all for it because it works for everyone yeah. then. But yeah, it'd have to be done very gradually for it yeah, to Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. that's that's my only real concern with it. The rest of it, I'm up for give it a go and let's let's see what happens because it sounds yeah. it yeah. sounds like a, I guess a like decent change. The, the solution would be to say don't fire everyone, don't fire anyone to uh to 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 empty this, you know, don't fire anyone to reduce your team number down to this figure, but if someone quits a post you mustn't replace them. That's yeah, the fair yeah. way that, to do that. That sounds yeah. fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, but from a like pure sporting racing point of view, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about all this. Yeah. This seems to tick a lot of boxes that people have been asking for. You, you can tell that the people in charge now are actually listening and actually thinking about this in a intelligent way. Yeah, and they're being organised about it as well. They're being communicative with the rest of the world. It's not yeah. all being done behind closed doors for a change, which is a nice, refreshing change. Um, I have, I do have faith. Um, you know, from what I've seen, like I think there is still going to be scope to 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 make the car look the cars look different. No two cars will ever look the same if they're designed by different different minds regardless of yeah. how tight the rules are you know there's always going to be nuance to the mm-hmm. i mean i think now i think even now there's like most people wouldn't be able to tell it like like we've said most people wouldn't be able to tell the cars look different but the the more sort of eagle-eyed fans or obsessive fans like us um can spot the differences can spot changes on cars so i don't think it's such a bad thing if they do look relatively similar anyway because they already do <laughs> yeah yeah and the liveries make them look so different anyway. Like all the different colors. Like, I mean, that's the, if you ever go to a racetrack, if you ever go to watch Formula One, one of the first things that stands out to you when you first see the cars on track is just how vivid and bright mm-hmm. and, yeah, and, and colorful. It's a rainbow. This year's of, good especially. Yeah, it's, it's literally a, a rainbow of design just going past you at 200 miles an hour. And it's one of the coolest things you'll ever see. Yeah. Cool. Um, let's move on to some other bits and bobs of news that's happened because there's not a whole lot else happened this week. Mm. Um, but Max Verstappen and uh, Lando Norris, uh, along with their what was their pure racing team uh, teammates uh, Max Beneke and Max Wenig, a very Max heavy team, there, <laughs> yeah. uh, won the iRacing 24 Hours of Spa over the weekend, uh, despite. With 15 minutes of the race to go and them having lapped the entire field, Max Verstappen's brake pedal on his sim rig just falling off. Yeah. Meaning they had to make an emergency last-minute driver change to uh, let Lando drive the last few minutes of the race. What? Oh, my I, God. I thought I might have sent you the clip of this. Maybe this is one of the few that I didn't send you when I was sending them all. <laughs> so I, I managed to catch a fair bit of this on and off through the weekend, just trying to keep my eye on it. And, yeah, the moment where Max is like basically saying... His, his brakes aren't working. Um, Lando doesn't believe him for quite a long time. And it's not until Max actually tries to pull the car up and nestle it against the barriers to stop it, because that's the only way to get out of the car and take <laughs> it back to the pits, that Lando's like, what? I'm actually getting in this. What? And he realizes that it's, you know, it, it's gone wrong. So, but yeah, apparently his brake pedal fell off his sim rig. 
how how do they do it? How do do they literally like do they all do it over the internet and they're all in separate sim rigs like around yeah. Yeah. the world? So like, with, with the, the iRacing, you you jump in like as a team and then you can swap drivers in the pits, but the car's got to be in the pits to do it. Yeah, so you, yeah. you either drive through the pits or in this scenario, you have to pull the car over tow it back to the pits but then you're frozen out on a on like a almost time penalty which is simulating the time of bringing the car back round i guess for you to to change drivers what so they so had they, it was something like a three it. minute freeze out that they had before lando yeah. could drive again uh, and because they were they, they'd lapped everybody it, luckily that gave them a bit of an advantage to be able to sort of take the penalty but it was close towards the end i think the guys in second were only 20 something seconds behind them in the end because of that <laughs> Oh, imagine if you beat Max Verstappen and Lando Norris <laughs> in the last fifteen yeah. minutes of a twenty-four hour race as well. You'd be absolutely tripping. <laughs> Honestly, um, if you ever get a chance to watch them racing together, like through one of Lando's Twitch streams, I'd highly recommend it just because of the entertainment factor alone. It's he's so good. There was one bit where he was singing the blue the Vettel flag. blue flag song at someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very very good watching. Um, we also had the weekend uh, the penultimate W Series race at Assen in the Netherlands. Uh, Emma Kimmelein and won her first race of the series, which was quite nice actually because she was right up there at the front for the first couple of races, then had to sort of retire from the series through illness for quite a long time. And she only came back in a previous race, I think. So it was very nice to see her get a win. Um, Jamie Chadwick held off her championship rival, Bites Kabissa, for third place, which means Chadwick's got a 13 point lead heading into the final race of the season. At Brands Hatch, which I believe is in two weekends' time, um, I think so, so. She's looking pretty good to win the first W Series Championship. She was at Silverstone actually with the Williams team. I don't know if you guys noticed. Yeah, yeah, um, I, did. I know I she's saw her in the garage, part of the Williams team. Almost more interestingly, though, uh, W Series decided the day after the race they held another non-championship race with a reverse grid, like reverse championship order, basically because they are kind of experimenting with ideas for their second season next year. Um, and it turned out to be one of the most, well, probably the most exciting W Series race I've had and probably one of the most exciting races that's happened anywhere this year. Megan Gilks uh, won from pole position, but only by three thousandths of a second. Um, Alice Powell finished second, uh, who started 17th on the grid. And there were seven tenths of a second covering the top five across the line at the end of the race. It was one of the wildest races you'll ever see. The whole thing's available on YouTube. It is well worth the watch for oh, I think it's a half hour race. It's there's just overtaking oh. going on left, right, and center. It's incredible. I, I know what I'm doing after this. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely have to watch it. It's amazing. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if they can sort of turn that into a more of a two day weekend rather than what it is at the minute, which is like a one day weekend, is it? Or do they possibly practice on the Friday but then qualify Saturday morning? Then race Saturday I afternoon. That's so, yeah. Generally I think it's it varied a little bit because I've mm. kind of followed DTM around for a lot of their races and the W Series calendar seems to have varied slightly based on what DTM are doing and what other support series there are, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they also announced all the prize money breakdown for this season. I think they've said the prize money is going to be significantly more next season and it will start to award um, super license points next season as yes, well. Yes, it will, yeah. Um, and I believe the top 10 or 12 drivers this season get automatic qualification next year and then the rest of the grid is going to be open for applications from absolutely anyone again. So. Yeah, I believe it's the top 12 for that. Yeah, I think it is. So, yeah, it's good. It's good to see that series uh, doing well. And obviously, as we said, Jamie Chadwick is now associated with Williams. So it's uh, yeah. it's certainly doing its job. 
Mm-hmm. Um, couple of little bits of news heading into Germany. Um, Mercedes have kind of teased a special commemorative retro livery. Um, it's the 125th anniversary of Mercedes being in motorsport. Um, and from what they've shown, it looks like they're going to be painting the car like matte silver, like the original silver arrows from back in the day. And like all the Mercedes logos are the kind of classic original ones. So that's it's quite exciting. Cool. I mean, if they really wanted to stay true to the originals, they'd just rub all the paint off of the car and run. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was just about fiber. to say, like, I wonder if anyone <laughs> amongst the listeners, probably many do, but that's the original reason that they got that name, isn't it? From scrubbing the yeah, paint exactly, off. Exactly, yeah. Yep, to Stick some weight. covers over the wheels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Oh, yeah, a little bit of Haas news as well. Um, Haas, last time out in Silverstone, decided to split the configuration of the cars, Magnussen in the most up-to-date version and Grosjean in the Australia spec of the car to try and get to the bottom of their issues. Unfortunately, their race lasted approximately four corners, so they <laughs> didn't get a whole lot of data from that. So they are sticking with that. So Grosjean driving basically his Australia car, Magnussen most up-to-date as they try and figure things out, uh, which leads us into some storylines for this race. Um, I guess the main one is whether Vettel can make up for his disaster last year because as we kind of talked about last episode or a couple of episodes ago that crash out from leading germany kind of felt like the beginning of vettel's current problems didn't it yeah i mean you, yeah. Say, you say make up for his disaster last year make up for his disaster last race i think <laughs> as well isn't it it could be yeah, storyline number two because <laughs> yeah my goodness he's got some he really needs to get get it together now do we think he can <sighs> The current form he's in, I'm not 100% sure, if I'm totally honest. He's never had a great record at home races either, has he, I don't think? Not really. I don't think... Obviously, he won some in these dominant Red Bull days, but... Yeah, but I don't know. I think think his form ever since that has not been the best, has it? Hasn't he only won one race in the year since that accident? Is that right? I can't remember. Since Germany last year? Yeah, since he crashed in Germany. Yeah, he won in Spa last year. That's the only other win he's had since then. Yeah, says a lot. He's approaching a calendar year without a win. Mm. Uh, I'd like to see him win. Um, I would too. I think he'd be really good. I think he needs a win. He desperately needs Mm. a win. Um, Yeah. uh, But, I mean, what what interests me is what's going to happen if he has another disaster at Monza? You know, what are the, what are the Ferrari fans going to think of him? Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Because they're, they're a, they're a um, feisty bunch, aren't they, the Ferrari fans? So come, Wear the hearts and the sleeves. That, yeah, so when's that one? That's in September, I think. Yeah, after Belgium, usually, September. yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, that's I'm more excited to see. Well, see hope, hopefully, he yeah, ho- hopefully he can get it together before then for his sake. Yeah. Second storyline, will McLaren continue to edge ahead in the best of the rest battle? Or do we think the likes of Renault can start to reel them back in again? Uh, I feel like McLaren have still got an edge over over um, over Renault. Maybe not necessarily in terms of car speed, but operationally for sure they're they're yeah. leaps ahead of them. So even if the car has, even if the Renault has caught up to the McLaren, McLaren has still got got the edge. I'd say. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. I think that it'll all depend on 
when both of them do start to switch that focus, I guess, doesn't it? Like if McLaren switch earlier than Renault, Renault might gain on them a little bit, but I don't know if that'll be enough to, to cause them to leapfrog. But they're close, but I don't think they're close enough anyway at the minute. Yeah. And then a final storyline, which is more of a hope than anything else. Will we get hmm. Leclerc versus Verstappen part three? <laughs> Fingers crossed. That, yeah, that would be cool. Um, yeah, let's 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 see. Yeah, I read an interesting take on that today. Actually, we're we're sort of beginning here to with Leclerc versus Verstappen to get the battle that we always wanted with Hamilton, Hamilton and Vettel, and never really yeah. got. Mm. Do you know what would be nicer than a Max and Charles fight? Is a Charles and Lewis fight or a Charles and Valtteri fight? Like, in no offense to Max, because it's not, it's more about the fact that the car's not as up the front as the Mercedes is. I'd rather yeah. see Charles fighting for a win rather than fighting Max over third. I'd, yeah. I'd rather see anyone fighting Hamilton <laughs> and Bottas for yeah. a win. I'd, I mean, in an ideal world, maybe I need to wait until 2021, but in an ideal world, I'd like to see. The, you know the McLaren, the Mercedes, the Ferrari, and the Red Bull all up at the front, yeah. sort of taking chunks out of each other, going wheel to wheel, corner after corner, like we saw at Silverstone. Mm, further back. Well, if those rules pay off, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's, I'll just I'll just skip out of Formula One until then. I'll go into like some sort of coma. <laughs> wake me up in twenty twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who would like to give me a driver to watch? It's got to be Vettel, hasn't it? Yeah, I think there's an obvious one in Seb, isn't there? Home, Home race. race. <laughs> needs a result. Yeah, needs to make up for last year, I guess. So, definitely. He's won him. Um, uh, driver to watch. I am going to go down a different road this week. I'm going to go Pierre Gasly because mm. he found some form against uh, Verstappen. That's over, a very good shout. Yeah, over yeah. the uh, Silverstone weekend. And um, he seems like he's had a bit of a sort of shift in gear almost, if you like, yeah. um, and, and brought himself up to speed. So I wonder if he's, something's clicked in that in, 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 with him and that car where he can now get the most out of it. So I'm really eager to see if he can carry that form through to uh, Yeah, Germany. that's a very good shout. I like that. Um, I'm going to pick another driver who's having a home race, and that's Nico Hulkenberg, because he oh, yeah. is starting i think to fall behind danny rick a little bit it's only sort of four or five points in the championship but in terms of pace he does seem to be slipping back a bit now so he could do with reeling him in a bit more i think this weekend interesting nice good i like good, it good stuff. about a team to watch mm. can i pick two teams to watch you're more than welcome to um, I, I, they're, they're front-running teams, so it's not necessarily that special. But the, I guess the topic could be like the idea of in in Silverstone, we saw the Red Bull and the Ferrari both running at similar pace throughout the race. Yeah, and obviously, it, it almost feels as though the Red Bull has maybe even leapfrogged or at least matched the Ferrari. Mm. So. I want to know if that was a flash in the pan or whether they have genuinely sort of occupied that space with Ferrari as the sort of Formula 1.2 <laughs> behind <Yeah>. Mercedes <laughs> in the gap between Mercedes and Formula 1.5. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm interested to see. I think other than that, for me, it would probably be 
if Haas can actually get some running between the two cars more significant <laughs> than getting to turn four and work out what is going on with it at the minute because they really need to get on top of that now. Like in in no like direct disrespect to Williams, but they're struggling to beat them at the minute. And that's partly because Williams are making strides forward, but when you're falling that far back in the order and then not being able to overtake what is known as the slowest car on the grid, you know you've got serious problems, I think. Yeah. So definitely. When when they were sort of putting the car on in, in fifth and sixth and stuff earlier in the season on, on the grid for in quality, why is it that they can't finish a race like ahead of what is the slowest car on the grid is beyond me. So I think they really need for them to get on top of it, I think, now and work out what's going on. Yeah, that's definitely they desperately need it, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Um, my team to watch. I'm gonna go for Alfa Romeo. They seem to actually have closed the gap to the guys ahead of them a little bit last race. They were they they were a lot closer throughout the weekend. They're still quite a way off your Renaults and McLarens of the world, but they certainly seemed a lot closer and were ahead of Toro Rosso a lot of the time. I think so. Be interested to see if they can keep closing up that gap ahead of them. Yeah, because this is the second race of three that they claimed they were going to bring upgrades to as well, isn't it? Germany? It is, yes. And their target is ultimately McLaren by their own account. So, yeah. Would be interesting to see if they do start closing keep that gap. in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, on that note, Stu, do you want to take us to Prediction Town? I would love to take. Why don't you hop onto the bus to Prediction Town with me? <laughs> <clears throat> and when we get there, we can make some predictions. Oh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> that was a quick journey. Um, <laughs> we're going to uh, the Hockenheim ring in Germany for the Formula One Mercedes-Benz Grosse Prix von Deutschland 2019. Yeah, I've got Mercedes sponsoring now. Yeah, yeah, yeah they do. Because they're allowed to. Saved now. it, they, didn't they? They were allowed to before, yeah. Um, first Grand Prix in 1970. Um, I don't know if that's at the Hockenheim ring or the German Grand Prix as a whole. I'm going to guess German Grand Prix as a whole. That information is not on the Formula One website. <laughs> <laughs> that must um, be Hockenheim ring, surely. There must have been a German race before then. Yeah, there yeah, must, they, have they must have been. Raced First race at Hockenheim in the uh, 60s, yeah. didn't they? So. Oh, of oh, yeah, course, yeah. They yeah. raced the <clears throat> bloody Avis, didn't they? That mad um, go up and down an autobahn and then go around a bit of banking yeah. at the bottom that's not really? got a fence at the top. Yeah. So, yeah, look oh, up wow. Avis. He was literally all the way up an autobahn, hairpin, all the way back down, <laughs> yeah. and you peel off. They built this massive piece of banking to bring you back around. Didn't bother sticking a fence at the top, so every now and again, someone would lose it and just go flying <laughs> oh, off the top my of the banking yeah. into the forest. It that is, is terrifying. It is some yes, crazy it is. piece of history from wow. the German Grand Prix. That's surprising for Germany as well, isn't it? Because normally they're so like safe and 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 efficient. Well, they are and they aren't. They you you stereotype them as that, but then they just have autobahns and like yeah, fast as you want, mate. <laughs> but then it. like, it's, it's because they trust their people. It's the people can yeah, handle true. an autobahn. Yeah. You put an autobahn in the UK, think <laughs> carnage. <laughs> right. Anyway, um, circuit length four point five seven four kilometers exactly. And it's I don't know if I already mentioned, but it's sixty seven laps. Lap record held by Kimi Raikkonen as a one thirteen seven eight zero. Um I reckon that'll be broken this year. Will it be Should broken be. in in qualifying? Chris, who will be your fastest qualifier in Q three? 
I went obvious last week and it didn't pay off. <laughs> but I'm going to go obvious again and say Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton. Um, the fastest last year, before you commit, um, the fastest qualifier last year was Bottas um, by <laughs> six thousandths of a second. Oh, dear. Wait, no, wait. I'm looking at Silverstone. I was about to say, wasn't I do, it Vettel? I do this every week. I do this every <laughs> it was Vettel. Week. Vettel. Vettel was on pole last year. It was a um, 111.2, and uh, Bottas was behind him at a 111.4. So he did have the legs on everyone, Vettel, last year, but different cards. I'm sticking with season. Hamilton. You're happy with Hamilton? Tom, happy who are you going to go with? Oh, this is where I start costing myself silly points again, <laughs> but I think I'm going to say... Charles because wow. the, the Ferrari was decent there last year and by all accounts this Ferrari is a better car that they're starting to find their way with and it looked as such in the last couple of races so I'm hoping that that comes good for me <laughs> uh, but we'll see okay. um, I mean there were, it was only Leclerc was only um, le- it was less than a tenth off off of pole yeah, at the last race at Silverstone. So yeah, uh, and they do I have relative. There are similarities between these two tracks. If you look at the layout, there are some yeah. high speed corners, low speed corners. You know, turn one particularly is an absolute beast. So yeah, you could be on something there, Tom. Um, I am going to go with Hamilton. Bottas was a little bit closer comfort last week, but I mean, well, I mean, he got the pole position, but <laughs> yeah, I very don't, close. I don't think he will get it. That I think Hamilton will bounce back, especially after his win. He'll be buoyed by his win, and, and Bottas will be disturbed by his loss. Um, which brings me on to Tom. Would you like to pick a winner? I'm going to say he's finally going to do it, and it's Charles. Finally going to happen. You're going to Leclerc win. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go Hamilton for the win because I'm boring. And Chris, who would you like to go for? I'm actually with Tom on this. I was thinking it before he even said it. I think this is going to be... Charles Week. Charles Week. At the top of the podium. Okay. Uh, we need a first DNF. Um, Daniel Ricciardo was the first retirement last year in his Red Bull with a uh, classic Red Bull power loss. <laughs> um, as he got all season last year, didn't he? Yeah. Um, obviously in a different car this year, Ricciardo. So is it my turn to go first? Yes. Probably it is. I'm going to go with... The last race was... Um, it was the Hassers, wasn't it, that went out for the yeah. first thing? Yeah, sure though. I'm going to go Grosjean for my first DNF because I'm cruel. <laughs> um, Chris, Chris, who are you going to go for? I was thinking a Hass as well, so I might go for the other one just for the sake of being different. Mag. I'll go okay. K-Mag. And Tom? Um, going by home drivers, I'm just going for this philosophy now. I'm going to say Nico. Nico. <laughs> <laughs> So Nico Hulkenberg, okay. Yeah, yeah not Rosberg. You see, so, <laughs> um, and their number of finishers, Chris, last year there were 16. Um, Fernando Alonso round up, rounded up the field, although he did retire at the very end, but was classified. Um, he had a gearbox issue. So actually 15 by our measure. Yeah, By our measure, it would be 15. Yeah, he didn't officially Quite finish a... the race. It's been low numbers of retirements this season, hasn't it, so far? Yeah, last race we only had uh, three retirements, so we had 17 finishes. It's Oh, yeah, because somehow Verstappen and Vettel finished that race. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm going to go for good old 17 again. It's a, it's a 17's doing me answer. all right this year. Uh, Tom, who, who, how many are you going to go? I think I'll go 16, similar to last year. 16. I am going to break my usual mold, and I'm also going to go 17. Um, no, I'm not. I'm going to go 18 because I don't want to be the same. <laughs> you year. know the one week you don't go 16 is going to happen, don't you? Oh, you just know it, don't you? <laughs> you just know it. <laughs> I welcome um, it because there's another point I can close in. <laughs> uh, and finally, can I have a rando drivo, please, Chris? You can. Oh, for crying out loud. Who is it? Kevin Magnuson. Oh, oh dear. Um, so I guess I'm saying 17th. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's uh, making sense. Put your I'm going to go... I'm going to go 20th. First um, retirement. Yeah, he's all in. Down, all in. He's going down, isn't he? He's going... First DNF. All in. All in. Magnuson. Uh, uh, Tom, then it's your turn, I guess. Oh, um... How many finishes have I got? I've got 16 finishes. Oh, this is difficult. Will he beat both Williams? <laughs> oh, 14th. 14th? Mm. That's optimistic. I'm going to go... Um, I think he will beat both Williams. I'm going to go 16th for uh, Magnussen's finishing position. I think he'll beat both Williams um, and there'll be two retirements. So yeah, that works out. Yeah, 16th. Yeah. Nice. Um, cool. And that's it. That's what we think. Um, if you want to get involved, as always, you can sign up at backofthegrid.com if you've not already, and you can enter for free. Uh, you have until the start of Q1 on Saturday to enter your predictions. Um, and as always, there's a prize for anyone who can get five out of five. Um, which leads us to the inbox. Um, before we get into the proper messages, we've had quite a lot of people tag us in things and send us messages asking us to talk about the whole Hass rich energy situation. Um, <laughs> I don't think we necessarily want to give it a ton of airtime. Um, I think the main thing for me is that right at the very start of this season, when they are announced, we all sort of went, that looks a bit iffy and that we just hoped that it wouldn't end up harming Haas at all. And it seems like now that the previous CEO has been ousted, they've got new people running the thing. They've changed the name from Rich Energy to Lightning Vault now. Yeah. And it now looks like everything is hopefully going to settle down and that Haas are not really going to suffer at all from it. And that's kind of the main positive I think we can take from it. I don't know if either of you want to add anything more to that. Um, Pretty much sums up my feeling in it i guess <laughs> yeah i've just i found it all really entertaining that's yeah <laughs> it's i mean just it's been, been absolutely bonkers hasn't it <laughs> the, well, the fact yeah. is we could we all saw it coming as well like everyone who even attempted to look up who they were it just immediately looked a bit iffy and we all assumed something was going to go horribly wrong and boy did it yeah um yeah, I mean, I kind of wish we had kept those uh, cans that we had. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, they're say that collectors they're, items. Yeah, they're really proper collectors <laughs> items now. Um, but alas, um, but yeah, I think that's kind of all the airtime we really want to give them at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, just just mostly to say we're glad that it's kind of worked out in Hass and F one's favour in the end. Um, and on that note, we'll go into some actual proper inbox. I think. <laughs> 
Uh, Jay Alexander says, so far the 2021 regulations haven't attracted any new manufacturers, but do you think that they will be unattractive to privateer teams wanting to join the grid? If not, what motorsport teams do you see being ready and willing to make the jump to F1? That's a great question. It is. Privateers, it's still a stretch, isn't it? I mean, yes, it's a budget cap, but $175 million is quite a lot of money. I think it's Renault made a change. point at the time of saying that even with that suggested cap, they still wouldn't be near hitting it at the minute. Yeah, exactly. When Renault are already spending less than that, mm. it just shows the gulf, doesn't it? I, I think we're probably not going to see anyone make a firm commitment until the thing's been finalised in October anyway. Maybe yeah. a few people might throw their hat in the ring, I guess, as a we're considering it. But I don't think until anything solidly confirmed will anyone properly step forward and say, we're interested now. Because well, it, is, it is a little bit too subject to change, isn't it, I guess? It was the same with WEC, wasn't it? There were lots of people saying, yes, we might be interested, but until they actually announced the new rules, no one really committed to it but now they have a few new manufacturers have so yeah yeah um i, I feel the same. there's plenty of teams that i would love to see in uh in formula one um which one day we will make something about um yes we've but, talked about that a lot haven't we yeah yeah but um off the top of my yeah like 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 you both say it's, it's gonna take time for regulations to firm up and for people to actually express interest and then there's a whole process even after they have so um, yeah we'll see it's a it's a bit of a, it's another we'll see that one it is yeah uh next lewis senna says i've been reading rumors that roman grosjean's days at Hass are numbered and that esteban ocon is shortlisted to take over his seat if true i have mixed feelings about it esteban is too talented in my opinion to be stuck in a losing team thoughts losing team is better than no team at all there is that that's very true we um, say similar about george i guess don't we in the williams exactly yeah Yes, but at least it's not a Williams. <laughs> yeah. Say that. Then again, at the minute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to take anything right now, wouldn't I? I mean, at the same time, define losing team. You know, a Red Bull, a losing team. Yeah. Well, yeah, it depends on your metric, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, regarding the Grosjean rumours, the, the rumours were that he would not even be on the grid in Germany and they've gone out of their way to say that's nonsense. Um Still don't think he'll be there next year. But as we've said before, we've said that every single year we've done the podcast. <laughs> um, I do think if he, if, he, if he doesn't, you know, perk up, then absolutely he's going to yeah. really struggle to keep his drive. Well, we will it, be doing our predict next year's grid over the summer break again. So I guess hold fire for that if you want to see where we think Grosjean and Ocon are going to end up next year. <laughs> okay, so Sam Van Outen says... There have been many rumours recently of... More rumours. <laughs> there have been many rumours recently of refuelling coming back to the sport. I personally would literally cry with joy when that happens. What is your opinion on this and do you think it will ever happen? I mean, I would cry if that happened, but not with joy. <laughs> <sighs> I don't think refuelling's really the... the it, it would be like a, one of the many plasters on a... What is it? A leaking water tank, as you called it? Or something? Yeah, apparently. Yeah. I don't think It'd it would be, be a proper fix. It could be a way of forcing a pit stop. It could be a natural way of forcing pit stops if that's what you want to do. Yeah. but It's also a way of forcing overtakes to not happen on track. 
Yes, exactly. We want to see overtaking happening on track. I think, and also it complicates it for what you know. What we're really trying to do is simplify the sport for new fans, because a big barrier to entry in Formula One is that it's too difficult to follow. You never know who's in the lead because of the pit stops. Um, Not to mention, if we're cutting costs, refueling rigs are very big, expensive things to yeah. cart around the world every other weekend. Yeah. And they cost a lot when your driver drives off with the hose still attached <laughs> as well. So, yeah, I think um, I think it'd be a bad idea. I don't think it'll happen. I really don't think refueling's coming back. I don't either. I, th- I mean, like, we talked about it at Silverstone when Hamilton got the lead by virtue of the safety car and when he took his pit stop and how kind of deflating that was on an otherwise good race. If you bring back refueling, that's every race. Every single race, you have significant things change around through pit stops and nothing happens on track. So, yeah, I super duper don't want refueling to come back. Yeah. And also, we won't have the really, really fast tyre changes either. That You know, the Red Bull yeah. 1.91 seconds tyre change. If you haven't looked it up on YouTube yet, check it out because it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. If you really want to see a good thing for that as well, there's a, a, a review that Ted and... Oh, who was it now? It was, uh, what's his name from, who used to be Felipe Massa's, Rob Smedley. Oh, Rob Smedley, that's it. Yeah, Ted and Rob Smedley doing like a comparison side-by-side of the Red Bull stop versus the Ferrari one. And it really highlights how key something like that is in a race, especially a race that was so close between the two of them. Yeah. But yeah, that, cool. that specifically is worth a look if you haven't seen it yet. If you go back now and watch pit stops from the refueling era, like the guys changing the tires are like practically stopping to have a little chat between taking the tire off, putting the new one on because they just have that long to do it because the refueling yeah. takes so long. <laughs> just pedestrian tire changes. Yeah, it really is. And even then they were considered like really fast packed tire yeah. changes as well. It's a ridiculous thing. Like they're doing 11 second stop and it's like, whoa, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think we've covered that one, have we? Yeah, yeah, I think so. With a uh, resounding no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kay Mengham says, I think that the 2021 cars look stunning and love the Venturi tunnels. Uh, however, they do look uh, very similar to Indy cars, which in my opinion will make it harder to explain the difference to a more casual viewer. What do you think? Hmm. There is an Indy car hint about those rent, like kind of renders I've released, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I think, hmm. I guess the difference is, much like Formula E that we were talking about, uh, talking about earlier, Indy cars all look the same because they are all essentially the same, save for a couple of choices of aero kit. Whereas with F1, you will still see those differences between the cars. Yeah, and not only that, the it, it won't look like the car won't look like that. It won't look like what you've seen in the renders. It will look, it'll still look way different from that. There's yeah. a long way to go with those designs yet. Yeah, it's just a a very principled drawing, isn't it, based off the regulations as they stand currently. There's yeah. still stuff that might change and there's still 10 teams on the grid to get their hands on them. <laughs> so, yeah, well, yeah. they're getting an entire, and they're getting a whole automotive engineer to look at it supposedly yeah. as well, aren't they? As we've so, mentioned. So yeah, yeah, I don't, that's certainly not a, uh, a finalized piece for sure. Yeah. That's live say, would a Vettel win at his home Grand Prix make him more or less likely to leave Ferrari slash F1 at the end of the season? Less likely. I'd say less likely, because, but I suppose it depends on how the season goes for him after that as well. 
Yeah, well, the, it, the question under the question underneath that is: Has the ship sailed? Isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Does it, you and know that. potentially he's already made his mind up about that, and I don't know if a single win at a race like that would be enough to change his mind if if he has made that decision. Hmm. I think the problem he's got now is if he walks away now and then 2021 comes around (laughs) and Ferrari just absolutely nail it, he's going to feel very silly, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I think I I agree. I think he needs to uh, get his head down. I mean, there's still there's still potential for them to get on top of this car and and catch up to the to the Mercedes by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, And especially with next season being kind of flat flattish changes as well yeah exactly hardly anything's changing for next season because everything's going into 2021 so and the season after that oh no oh god no god we're already like only yeah. two years away from these regulations yeah good yep um, the years are flying by they are literally flying by uh do you want to feel yeah, really old? I mean, no <laughs> okay go on Go on. The uh, remember the baby in Teletubbies is that whose face was in the sun. <laughs> that, <laughs> what a niche yeah, that baby now has a baby. Whoa! <laughs> oh my please, please tell me that baby is now That's the insane. baby in Teletubbies. Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah. What What is that baby like? Sixteen and from like somewhere really dodgy. <laughs> no, she's she's probably like in her mid twenties or something. We're just all very old. Oh, what? Oh, that's so weird. That was yeah. a really weird niche I took us down. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Should we I move do on? Feel old. It's yeah. made me feel old. So the objective has been completed. I think it's time to move on. Did we answer the question? <laughs> yes, I think so. We yes, said, we generally said. No, we don't think that he will believe in, and a win won't make a difference. No. Okay, okay. Brooke Archer says there aren't many pairings on the grid that consider themselves true friends. Pierre and Charles are the only ones. With Lando and Max spending their weekend off doing a twenty-four hours race, are there a few more friendships brewing? Will this be better for the sport? Good question. Um, Ricardo uh, and Sainz seem to get on very well. They've sort of Got yeah. into a little bit of a weird prank war while they're being interviewed and stuff I've like seen that. that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Didn't didn't he get him in the uh, in the in the Nads. in the goods? Yeah. In the yeah. goods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's happened a couple well, of times between. That was, between, that, was a, that was a. I saw that. That made me laugh on Twitter. Um, I don't think I, I. In terms of like better for the sport, I suppose it's better from an off track side of thing. The sport as a whole to see like these guys have a bit of personality and see a bit of banter going on and to you know to to see that there's a bit of life in these drivers. They're not just robots. Yeah. That can't hurt the sport, can it? No. Um, and it's, you know, it's fun to say. It gives us all something to talk about, something to laugh about. It's it's entertaining, which is what this sport is trying to be. So, yeah, more mm. of that, please. I couldn't help thinking, actually, watching uh, Max and Lando at the weekend being such pally-pally friends, what it's going to be like the first time they drive into each other on the track. Like how yeah. how much that friendship will kind of let them navigate the uh, immediate aftermath of one of them crashing into the other. Yeah, mm. it's it's a funny thing that isn't it? It must what must go through a driver's head if your mate crashes into you? Because it <laughs> must happen loads. It must happen loads and loads. Well, yeah, that, yeah. The thing is as well though, they come through like karting and other series exactly. together, so. It wouldn't surprise me if they sort of come wheel to wheel at some point before F1. Maybe not so much if the friendship kind of brews while they're in F1, but 
Do you know what I mean? Like they're competing against people that they hang around with every other weekend for years and years. So they kind of know everyone on the grid to an extent. So yeah, yeah, yeah they're all sort of pally anyway. Aren't they? Yeah, it, it's. I think that what this highlights is sort of the modern generation as well, because things like iRacing sim weekends being streamed on Twitch were not a thing not so long back. So I think that's part of like seeing the younger generation of Max and Lando coming through that that's, that's what they do for fun in their off time. Like they enjoy racing that much that they go off and do the virtual equivalent, like what we, we all do. Um, so I think that's just seeing them chill out, I guess more than anything, which is cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It's the beauty of the internet, isn't it? Yeah. The beauty of the, the, the technology age, the information age is upon us. <laughs> yeah. Um, lastly, this week, uh, as promised, when we all recovered from our Silverstone weekend, we uh, collated all of the pictures of our flag that you managed to snap and send in um, to pick a winner of the little contest we had going. I do want to give a special mention to Tom Austin Morgan, who managed to spot and get a picture of the flag at probably its absolute smallest. I think it was a helicopter <laughs> shot while we were stood on the exit of Cops. It's yeah. like the whole flag is probably a few pixels wide, but he did manage to get it. So special messenger out to Air Tom. Uh, but the winner we picked was uh, Andrew Parkin, who actually sent in a couple of different photos, uh, which were all very, very good. Um, so we will get in touch with you and uh, get a little prize your way. Yeah, applause, applause, applause. Tom can edit in a more impressive applause than just me and you two. Nah, just um, a <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, thanks once again to everybody who sent them in. There were some really, really cool shots of our flag getting in places it probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that will probably do us for this week. So as always, uh, please like, share, subscribe, and all those things wherever you get the podcast. Uh, you can get in touch with us. We're on Twitter at Back of the Grid F1. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Back of the Grid. And for the Predictions League and everything else, backofthegrid.com is where you want to go. And that will do it. So until next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>